This morning, if you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Acts. We finished up the book of Exodus last week. I did two books in the Old Testament. Now we'll do a couple books in the New Testament. And we'll start with the book of Acts. Now it's interesting because this book is not completed yet. You're still living out the book of Acts. What Jesus did inside of the people who believed in him. We find the foundation of the church here in Acts, but it goes on today in every one of our lives. And I think that's really important to realize that God ain't done with us yet. And the work that he's begun in us, he will fulfill according to his purpose. And so if you have your Bible, again, Acts chapter 1, as we go through this in God's word together. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, which happens to be Acts chapter 2, and that's where we'll be next week. And interestingly enough, that was 1,990 years ago to the day. You want to know what happened in the church 1,990 years ago? Acts chapter 2 is where we'll be next Sunday morning, when God gave the most amazing gift to those people who love him, the power of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit... Jesus said, you, being of the world, know how to give your children good gifts. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? In other words, the gift of the Holy Spirit is not a reward for being a really good Christian. The gift of the Holy Spirit is just a gift so that you will be empowered from God on high. The Old Testament, there was Elijah's and Elisha's and all those that were uh, mentioned in the Bible. But now it's for everybody who is called by his name. So how important is this empowering? And we're going to talk about that next Sunday morning. But leading up to that, we're going to find that Jesus told the disciples and those that loved him to go to the upper room and wait. And so that's where we'll come into the story today. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word, we ask you that you would speak to us. Lord, that you would inspire us. And God, that just as you were alive and did amazing things with people who loved you in the Bible, we ask you to do that with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 1, the former account that I made. Now, this is Luke writing the book of Acts. The former account means the book of Luke. He wrote the first to give the description of what Jesus did. Luke was not a disciple of Jesus. Uh, We're going to talk about the disciples here in a minute as we get a little farther up in chapter 1. But Luke was not a disciple of Jesus. Luke was a doctor who went around, and as doctors often do, took meticulous notes of everything he could find that Jesus did. And so we have the book of Luke. So he writes the first book, the former account that I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Now, here, interestingly enough, the word Theophilus, it means God lover. Some people believe that actually this wasn't actually written to an individual, which we don't know for sure, or it was just written to the God lovers, the Theophiluses, 
I pray that you're all a Theophilus today. You're one that loves God. He said that Jesus began to do and to teach. Friends, again, John 3.16, that wonderful verse in the Bible, is not the end of your relationship with God. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, whosoever would believe in him would not die, but have eternal life. Now, that's not the end of your relationship with God. Well, I believe in Jesus, close the book, that's it. No, that's the beginning of it. What he began to do and to teach. You see, God is still in the miracle working business today. I've had people come to me and ask questions like, how come God was such a God of miracles in the Bible and yet today he doesn't do miracles? Let me tell you something, friends. God is still in the miracle working business. But most of us don't live close enough to the edge to need a miracle. Now, that doesn't mean that God isn't willing to do miracles for us. But I think a lot of times we get conditioned to think, well, God won't do something for me. I want to remind all of you, expect a miracle. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, expect a miracle. Whether it be in your home life, your personal life, your business life, your Christian life, whatever it is, I believe God is still in the miracle working business. And when you live and take everything that you got, you go to that edge, God says, I'll make up the difference. That he both began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now we remember... They came to Jesus and they said, what is the greatest commandment? Now, you all need to know this. I, I would pray, as, as any pastor probably really would, that not one of you ever become lost to the cults. They're out there. They're real. They're treacherous. And they prey upon people who don't know the Bible. Now, let me explain why that's so important. Because they have no problems trying to talk you out of your relationship with God. They want to talk you out of your relationship with God and into their cult. That's the way they work. And they want you to believe that they're the same as we are, except they're not. They've added other books to the Bible. They've added um, uh, different revelations. They have rewritten the Bible to suit their own belief. These are all dangerous things and why you need to know God's word. Being a Christian isn't just having your name written in the book of life in heaven that you'll be able to spend eternity with Christ, which by the way, everybody, that's a wonderful thing. But that you would be that servant of God to be able to defend your faith as the Bible says. In other words, yes, we have our heavenly reward, but we also have an earthly purpose here. And I believe that is so extremely important in the world we're in today. 
And so it says that this is what Jesus did until he was taken up. Now we're going to talk about that because it's important because this is where a lot of theological issues become relevant. It says in whom, verse 3, he presented himself alive after his sufferings to many infallible proofs being seen by them for 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus, after he rose from the dead, the Bible says for 40 days, he presented himself to everybody. In fact, in the gospels, it said he appeared to over 500 people at one time. So we have these irrefutable uh, proofs that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, again, based upon jurisprudence, which means in the sight of many witnesses, we can establish what is true. Now, when we realize, again, in the book Fox's Book of Martyrs, it tells us how all the apostles died. And except for John, who was boiled in oil, and he didn't die, the Romans being very pantheistic. In other words, they believed in many gods. When he didn't die as he should have done, they thought, lest we better not try to kill him again. The gods might get angry. Let's just exile him on the island of Patmos where he got the the book of Revelation uh, revealed to him. Now, why is that important? Would you die for a lie? In other words, if you got with a bunch of your buddies and uh, Jesus, this uh, leader of ours, he was a well-known figure. He said he was going to raise from the dead. Uh, we put him, in, you know, they crucified him. They put him in. And then me and my buddies, we got together and we decided we were going to go down and, and take the body of Jesus. So therefore, everybody would think he rose from the dead um, and, and, and then we'll, we'll just carry it away and we'll, we'll, we'll keep this sect, this club going on. So the, him and Peter and a bunch of guys, they got, they went down and they went and overpowered, uh, this, this group of, and by the way, it wasn't just two Roman guards. Uh, the Bible talks about it was probably many, probably more like a dozen. Uh, protecting the tomb of Jesus, but we're going to overpower him. And then we're going to get, and we're going to roll away the stone. And then we're going to get Jesus's body and we're going to carry it off. Uh Oh, and then we get caught. That actually kind of happened. And, and, and so Peter, the others, they were caught. And every one of them died a martyr's death because they would not say, that we made it up. Let me tell you something. Would you die for a lie? I wouldn't. If I got with my friends and we came up with a plan and they said, look, we'll let you go or you can die for what you say really happened. If I made it up and they'd let me go, I'd say, see ya. But every one of them died for what they saw and what they knew. This is really important to me. Again, I would not, you would not, I don't believe they would not die for a lie. So it says here, for 40 days, they saw him. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, Jesus said this, but to go uh, 
For the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. He said that you, again, being of the world, know how to give your children good gifts. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? This promise that Jesus said was going to come was about to do so. For John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In other words, you're going to be immersed in something different than you've known before. This is the power of God. Now, all of these people that were going to gather in the upper room were believers in Jesus Christ. Now, friends, this is really important because I want to be real careful because so many people today teach church dogma rather than the scripture. And there's a big difference between dogma and scripture. Now we say, well, what's dogma? This is what our church believes. We've always believed this. We're going to continue to teach it. And even though it doesn't really line up with scripture, that's the way it is. Friends, I'm not into that. I want to know what does the Bible say? This past week, I got a call, got two on every men and answer, both of them, uh, this past week, which were kind of unique. And they, this person says, I've been going to a Bible study, and Abraham, when he had a son with Hagar, Sarah's handmaiden, named Ishmael, because Sarah couldn't have kids, at least she thought, and then Sarah had a little boy named Isaac. The two couldn't go together. So Abraham reluctantly put Hagar and Ishmael out of the home. He goes, I'm going to a Bible study that says that after Sarah died, up in chapter 26, that um, he married another woman, Keturah, and this is... Hagar, and he remarried her. I said, I've never heard of such a thing. So I did a little research on it. And interestingly enough, it's whacked. Going to a Bible study, hearing whacked stuff. I ain't got time for it. You don't have time for it. Now, why, where did that come from? Well, a little bit from Jewish oral traditions, the Kabbalah and some of these other books But what was weird is if you look what Keturah, who that person was, a completely different name. Another thing about it that's interesting, it says in Exodus, I think, 20, that Moses married uh, Hagar, excuse me, Abraham married uh, Hagar. And then it says, I believe in chapter 26, it says, "And, and Abraham married Keturah. He wouldn't marry the same woman twice because he never got a divorce. Well, I don't know if he did or not. He gave her a bottle of water and a loaf of bread and said, bye. That was probably the cheapest divorce settlement in the history of, the, of all humankind. Literally, he took his wife. Sarah said, I want her out of the house. He goes to her after he married her and said, Hagar, you got to go. You and your son, here's a bottle of water, a loaf of bread. See ya. Serious friends. Sarah dies. 
and according to the oral tradition, then Ishmael uh, and uh, Isaac reintroduce her. Moses, or I keep saying Moses, uh, uh, Abraham marries her back. Well, the names are wrong. It says he married her where he already had married her before. Well, somebody say, well, they just got remarried. Well, here's the biggest problem of all. It says, and these are the sons of Keturah and lists all these other kids that Abraham had with her. Ishmael is not listed. Different woman. Very simple. Scripture stands on its own. That's not listed there. So these are the things that we want to look at. I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste my time teaching feathers and fluff. And friends, there's a lot of stuff like that out there. If in truth and in fact, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, I want to be sure I'm living by what the Bible says, not by a bunch of idealistic, goofy stuff that my church denomination teaches. I am forced to teach this stuff, even though the Bible really doesn't support it. Church dogma. Going back to the Bible. So Jesus said, you know how to give your children good gifts. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? There are some that say that the Holy Spirit is no longer relevant in the church today. In other words, there's no more empowering or infilling. That is false doctrine, friend. You need that anointing in your life, that deutimos. I was raised in a church that believed the Holy Spirit seats with the apostles. And there was no empowering of the Holy Spirit. And I spent up to the time I was about 18 years uh, old, very scared, very weak in my Christian relationship with God. If somebody was to tell me that when I was 17 years old, that I would stand up in front of a group of people and talk like I'm talking to you, I would say, you are absolutely out of your mind. Do you know they say that one of the scariest things anybody can do is stand up in front of a group of people? Or even worse, be on the radio in front of a live mic where thousands are listening or millions are listening. I would have said, you're crazy. And I was at a church one time, and and this man, pastor, said this. He said, uh, if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, if you feel your Christian experience is weak, you know you're saved, you're going to heaven, but there's no deutimos, there's no power in your life for being a Christian, I want you to come up here, I want to pray for you. And I thought, you know, to myself, I ain't got nothing to lose. So I came forward, and this man, he just put his hands on me and said, in the name of Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit. That's all he did. I walked away. I didn't feel a lightning bolt or anything like that. But I began to notice something the following week, that I realized that God loved me, that I was in him, I was empowered by him, and all of a sudden I wasn't scared to talk to anybody about the Lord. In fact, I had a boldness in my life that I didn't have before. Now, as we read on here, let's look. Therefore, verse 6, when they had come together, 
They asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Yes, God's going to restore the kingdom of Israel, but it's not yet. You see, there's a 70th week of Daniel missing. A seven-year period of time in which God will deal with his nation of Israel and bring a completion to all things. That's known as the tribulation period. God deals with a God-rejecting world with punishments, and he deals with this nation of Israel one last and final seven-year period of time. Now, verse 8. Don't worry about that, basically, saying, look at this. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses in me, in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, this is interesting to me because this is what happened to me. I know. It says, but you shall receive power. The word power here is the word dunamos. And it's where we get the word dynamo or generator. It's not the word for dynamite that goes bang and it's over, but it's a generating thing that's in us. And this is what I didn't have in my life. This is what I needed because I realized I needed something beyond my own ability to be what God wanted me to be. So it says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The word upon is the word epi, where we get the word epidermis, on you. The Holy Spirit will come on you. I like that. It's more of, a, of an actual thing that happens. Now, remember, when they go to the upper room... They were all believers. Some people say, well, you get the Holy Spirit when you believe. Okay, I, I, I can agree to that. Because it's by the Holy Spirit we're convicted of our sins. We realize our need for a Savior. But this is something different. They were all believers in the upper room before the Holy Spirit came upon them. The Holy Spirit is the empowerment. Now, notice what it says. To be witnesses... To to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the other ends of the earth. The word for witnesses is the word martyr. Wow. Martyrs, where we get the word martyr. In other words, I'm going to empower you to be a martyr for me. You know, Paul says, it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives within me. What does he mean by that? It means you have to forsake what you would normally do for what God wants you to do. Friends, that's never an easy thing. I know there are relationships, marriages, businesses, all kinds of things that will be forsaken to be about your father's business. It's just the way it is. The, Jesus said, if you love anything, father, brother, mother, sister, more than me, you're not worthy of me. And so really, when we decide to follow Jesus, it may cost you 
some of your family members. It may cost you your job. It may cost you your co-workers. When everybody, I remember a story that I heard about a guy that went to work, and he said that, that every uh, Friday about 2 o'clock, uh, everybody would leave, and one guy would stay behind till 5 o'clock and punch everybody out as on the time clock uh, so that uh, they were able to go home early. And the guy was a Christian, and he said, I'm not going to do that. That's wrong. That's stealing from the company. Well, no, next week, we'll, somebody will punch you out early, and you'll get to leave at 2 o'clock. He goes, I don't want that. And so because of that, they all went against him, and he ended up losing his job. See, the problem is, is that sometimes standing for what's right is not popular. And standing for what God wants you to do, you may be a martress. You may be a martyr because of your stand for him. But if you're weak in your faith, well, I guess that's okay. I mean, everybody's doing it. Well, just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean it's right. And this is one of the great problems that we find today, that it seems that mob rules. Mob is what makes it okay. By the way, not to get political on all of you, but this is what democracy is. Now, let me explain this. The United States of America is not a democracy. It's a republic. And you say, well, what's the difference? I always thought a democracy. No, no. Democracy is where the majority rules. So let's say that 51% of Americans believe, if you were in a democracy, this is the way it would be in a democracy, 51% of the, of the country believes you can murder your next door neighbor because he, he let his lawn hose flood your yard. Murder's okay. 51% of the country believed you can murder your next door neighbor. That's democracy, and that would be legal. That's what democracy is. A republic is different. A republic is based on some other set of laws that could be then defined by those in a democratic society like we have. So we're a democratic republic or a republic democratic type of government. Now, let me explain. What then is the laws? Is it just 51% of the way everybody feels about everything makes the laws of the land? No. Our country was based upon Judeo-Christian principles, okay, what the Bible says. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, you, you know, you don't lie, all, all, all those things. Those are the governing laws, and we just finished the book of Exodus. Remember, the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they were under Egyptian law, they came out, okay, now how should we then live? God says, Moses, come up here. And so he comes up to the Mount Sinai and God gives him the way now the nation of Israel will govern themselves. They realized, our forefathers realized, it could not be a democracy because the democracy laws will change with public opinion. That's why you need something bigger than people to determine how to live. Our forefathers realized the importance of God's law. 
And, and without law. Well, then you hear today in the modernists, well, you're trying to legislate morality. Have you heard that one? Let me tell you something about that statement. Every law that we have in the United States of America today is a moral law. That's right. Because without it, you have chaos. God empowers us to stand for what's right. You need that. I need that in my life. I need that to be able to stand when Jesus says what we need to do, we need to do. So he says, you will receive, will receive, not yet, but you will, power, dunamos, dynamo, in you, so you will be able to be a martyr for me. Notice something else here. He says, and you will be witnesses. Notice it's not the word for me, it's the word to me. Do you get that? I can understand being a witness for Jesus, but that ain't the way Jesus looks at it. He says, you're going to be a witness to me. In other words, as the priest would minister to the people and minister before God, we will minister to God via that power of the Holy Spirit. So we will not only be his witnesses, but we will be a demonstration of God's poema, God's artistry, if you will. That's what God does. That's who you are. And if you don't remember who you are, you'll begin to believe the lies of the cults or the fads of the world, all that stuff that's out there. You need to know who you are in him. Now, when Jesus had spoken these things, verse 9, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. That had to be really something to see. Well, How does he do that with wires? No, I mean, I mean, can you imagine that? Here, here Jesus is standing there and all of a sudden he tells them, he says, hey, I'm going to do great things in your life. And he goes, and ascends into heaven. Notice it says, And while they look steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men, presumably angels, stood by them in white apparel, who said to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will also come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Wow. That's how we know he's going to come. He's not going to make a, you know, a secret appearance in 1912 to a bunch of people and start a whole religion on He says everybody's going to see him. Now, I, I like this because this is where we begin. And again, Acts is the foundational book of the church. You need to know how you got here. You need to know where we're going in it. Okay, so here's the thing that we have to remember. It says... Ye men of Galilee, why set you staring into heaven? So what were they looking at? I believe they were looking into the sky. Because according to Greek understanding, there were three heavens. There were the heavens where the birds fly, the atmosphere. There was the heavens where the heavenly bodies were, the Sky, moon, sun, cosmos, stars. And then there's the third heaven, 
where the gods dwelt. This is according to Greek and Roman understanding. This is when Paul said, I was caught up into the third heaven and I beheld God in his glory. Now you say, Mike, why is that important? Well, it's really important because it establishes first one literal eternal place where God dwells. Number two, this verse says they were looking into heaven, but they weren't looking into the throne room of God. They were staring in the sky, this same Jesus. You saw him go up in a cloud. He's going to come back the same way. You say, well, Mike, what, what's your point here? Why are you saying this? You see, if you equip yourself with God's word, you're not going to become prey to the cults. The Mormons teach, and I love Mormons, and I talk to them all the time. I actually had them come down here to the station. And they said, we don't like you saying bad things about the Mormon church. I said, I don't say bad things about the Mormon church. If I ever say one thing that isn't accurate, you come and tell me, I will make a public apology. They say there's three heavens. There's the heavens where people go that are, you know, just people. Then there's the heaven, heaven number two, where Jack Mormons and good, maybe Christians go. And then there's the third heaven in which you go to progress on to be a God yourself someday. The third heaven where temple Mormons go. And they use the verse, Paul was caught up into the third heaven and beheld God in his glory. They said, see, see, there's three heavens. Not understanding the context of what the Bible says. Now, why do I say this? You need to know how to defend your faith. If you don't, you can become a victim of the age. So they were caught up into the third. He said, I was caught up in the third heaven, beheld God in his glory. Why is that important? That's where the God, that's where God dwells. That's where people today, if they die as a believer... To be absent in the body, Paul says, is to be present with the Lord. No soul sleeping in the Bible. This is what the Seventh-day Adventists and Jehovah's Witnesses and several of these other groups. And I used to not do this, but you know, friends, they have launched an all-out attack on Christianity. I watched Walter Martin. I knew Walter Martin. I did uh, a radio show with him before. And uh, some of you might remember who he was. He's the one that wrote Kingdom of the Cults. And I remember Walter Martin saying, you know, if we don't stand for what the word of God says and we don't equip saints to defend their faith, you can be a victim of the age. I've known people who were Christians who got into the cults because they didn't know how to defend themselves. And I remember when I was 17 years old, looking through a screen door at two finely dressed people, and they were saying things to me through the screen that I knew weren't true, but I did not know how to defend myself. And I was so frustrated when they began to tell me that Satan and Jesus were brothers. Where I knew in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. Why is this important? Because if you don't defend your faith, you'll become a victim of the age, friends. It's the way it works. So, why you men of Galilee looking into heaven? The same Jesus will come in like manner. In fact, the second coming of Christ 
which happens three and a half years after the abomination which makes desolate, during the tribulation period. For seven years, God judges this world. And as he judges this world, a man called the man of peace comes on the world scene. Now we know as Christians he's the Antichrist, but the world's going to herald him as this great man of peace. The Antichrist initially, Revelation chapter 6, he's on a white horse. He goes out conquering and to conquer. He has a bow with no arrows. Very, very important. He goes out diplomatically to unite the world under one flag. Friends, I believe that's what we're seeing happening right now to the United States of America. Absolute insanity reigning supreme here. I don't know if you noticed that. What's right is wrong. What's wrong is right. We gave a hundred billion, a hundred billion dollars to the Taliban in Afghanistan. Our latest, greatest technology. A couple, eight months ago. Crazy. They just announced this past week to expect terrorist attacks from the Taliban on U.S. soil using our very weapons. You think this is crazy stuff? No, check it out. I'm not telling you stories. The United States has to fall for the one world order to come to power. Do you realize the Second Amendment is their biggest bugaboo? Friends, they're going to go after that. You watch. Freedom of speech, they're going to go after that. That's a bugaboo. They don't want, they like freedom of speech as long as you're saying what they want you to say. Do you know how many times I've been banned off of YouTube? I'm becoming their new star. Because I tell people what even the news says, but nobody wants to know what the news says. So, here's where we're at. Jesus equipped us to know what is truth, what isn't truth. We need to know what that is. We need to understand where we're going as a world. And then you need to understand how God's going to use you in these last days. If you think everything you see is just going to keep going on and on and on the way it's been, you're fooling yourself. We are in a different world now. Do you know this baby formula thing? You've all heard about it. I shared a little bit about it. Was created. This wasn't an oopsie. This was on purpose. They shut the factory down that makes the baby formulas. And what was in stock, they shipped to warehouses along the American-Mexican border. I'm, I'm just telling you the truth. A senator went down and took pictures in the warehouse of all this. And we're having to fly baby formula from Europe into the United States? Why didn't you just fix the baby formula factory and then we wouldn't have the problem? No, the FDA government shut them down to create the problem. Friends, if they can, I, I think this was a test, a manipulative test, because I think they're going to manipulate other things. Rahm Emanuel, one of um, Obama's early guys, he said, never let a crisis go to waste. Whether it's a shooting in Texas 
whether it's a baby formula issue, whatever the crisis is, milk it to its full potential. They have a one world order. They have a one world agenda, friends. The Bible tells us, Jesus said, when you see Jerusalem under Jewish control, Jesus goes on in Luke 21, these things will not pass away till all are fulfilled. Friends, we are at the end of the road, which tells me a lot. You know what that tells me? You are God's handiwork. You are God's voice. You are the inspiration, that Holy Spirit that goes in boldness into a dark world. Now, it says, he's going to come in like manner. The Bible says, as lightning flashes from the east into the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Every eye will see him. That's the second coming of Christ. Three and a half years after the abomination which makes desolate, desolate, the Antichrist goes out uniting the world diplomatically. Those that will not capitulate to a diplomatic assimilation, the fiery red horse, the wars break out. He's going to unite the world as one. In the first part of the tribulation period, One quarter, the Bible says, one quarter of the world's population dies. There's 8 billion people right now on the earth. That means 2 billion people will die. We talk about, oh, 100,000, you know, uh, 1 million COVID deaths or 100,000 of this. One, 2 billion people are going to die in this uniting the world, okay? Now, why is that important? When you realize what devastation this is going to bring about. He unites the world through religion. He's going to have a coexist, a, uh, um, you know, what do they call it? Uh, coexist, uh, um, We'll all just groove together, baby. That's his, that's his MO. That's what he's going to do. They're going to take a little bit of this, a little bit of spiritual smorgasbord. True Christians won't buy his chili because we know Jesus said, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said in that verse, all religions are bogus. Better know that verse, John 14, 6. I am the way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It is not religion. It's not being a good person. It's not just being a real faithful person in some religion. Through Jesus Christ only. So important. You got to know that. Now, when we understand this, the Antichrist makes Chrislam, unites the world, and then he scraps the very religious system he made and declares to the world he must be worshipped as God. The Jews, knowing this guy is bogus now, their eyes are opened. Jesus said, don't even go back in to get your coat. This is the abomination which makes desolate. He makes this declaration evidently from the temple in Jerusalem. He knows the Jews are not going to buy his chili. And he brings swift retaliation. Jesus said, don't even go back in to get your coat. Run for the hills. Get out of town. Fast. He doesn't want to suffer the humiliation of the Jewish people rejecting who he is. 
You see, after all, he's the one most likely that gave them the permission to build their temple in the first place. We're there on the Temple Mount. You have the Jew, the Christian, the Arab, all worshiping together. The Dome of the Rock Mosque, the new uh, Tribulation Temple, everything right there. And then they reject him. Well, again, friends, three and a half years, the Bible says, from that day that he declares he's God, that he needs to be worshipped as God, is when Jesus Christ comes back, every eye sees him. I, I think that's pretty good. We know exactly when the second coming of Christ is. What we don't know is the rapture of the church. We don't know when that is. Jesus said, behold, I come as a thief. Thieves come to take good things. They don't steal your floor mats. They come to take what's valuable. God doesn't care about gold. They pave the streets with it in heaven. He's coming for you. You need to know that. You need to know why that's so important. He's coming for you. You are valuable to God. This morning, I pray you recognize how valuable you are to God. You're his hands. You're his feet. You're his voice. And remember, there's a real enemy that we have. Now, again, if the devil was in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork selling fireworks, you would spot him a thousand miles away. But he doesn't come that way. He comes in different forms, the Bible says. And he knows how to tempt us. Again, the Bible says to arm yourself with God's word. If you don't know God's word, you can believe anything. If you know God's word, you go, uh, 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 can't go for that. You need to be able to do that. When we look here, Jesus ascends to heaven. They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem on the Sabbath day's journey. They had entered and went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, not Judas Iscariot. They all continued in one accord in prayer, not in a little Honda car. They all continued in one accord in prayer, supplication, with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, this is the last mention of Mary in the Bible. We don't find Mary mentioned again after Acts chapter 1. Now, some people think that maybe John chapter 2, if you like to do things, uh, uh, Second John uh, chapter 2, the Bible says, to the elect lady. Many people think that that elect lady, since John knew Jesus' mother Mary wrote her a letter to the elect lady and her children, it says. It doesn't make sense really for anybody else. It may have been written that way to keep the Romans from coming and capturing Mary and her brothers and crucifying them or doing something along that line. We don't know. But he said to the elect lady. So the only other possible mention of Mary is John uh, chapter 2, the elect lady. A little caveat there. And those days Peter stood up, midst of the disciples, altogether numbering was about 120. 
Men and brethren, the scripture has been fulfilled, which the scripture spoke to us before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide for those to arrest Jesus. For he was numbered with us, obtained a part of this ministry. Now this man purchased the field with the wages of iniquity. Falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and his entrails gushed out. This is what happened to Judas Iscariot. Now, in another place, it says that he hung himself. People say, oh, it's a contradiction. No, he hung himself. And by the way, I've been to Israel. There are rocks everywhere, and they're jagged, sharp rocks. No doubt he probably climbed up in a tree, hung himself, rope broke. He went down on the rocks, burst open, and his guts came out. What a nasty thing to happen to somebody that... But Judas was a bad guy. Jesus said he should would have been better off, never have been born. And it came known to all those that dwell in Jerusalem, so the field, to their own language, it's called Akadema, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no one live in it. And they never did. And let another take his office. So Peter goes, let somebody else take his office. So we got to figure out who's going to take Judas Iscariot's place. Now, first of all, something important. When you go back to this chapter, It's the first time the 12 were called apostles. Previously, they were called disciples. Now that Jesus has ascended, they were called apostles. I think that's important. No one told Peter to do this. Peter just said, well, you know, there's supposed to be 12 of us. We're absent one because Judas Iscariot and what he did, how he hung himself and his guts burst out. Okay, what are we going to do now? So it says, these men having accompanied us to the time of the Lord Jesus went out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day he was taken up from us. Uh, we must uh, become a witness which with us and his resurrection. And they proposed to Joseph called Barabbas, and his surname was Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, O Lord, you know the hearts to show us which one of these two men you have chosen to take part in the ministry, the apostleship, which Judas by transgression fell, that he may no longer, uh, and he went to his place. And they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. We never know whatever happened to Matthias. Nothing else. Just kind of vanished in history. Now, most people believe that Paul, earlier Saul, persecuted the church, then becomes born again. Paul then takes the place of Judas Iscariot. Well, we don't know that we don't know for sure. We'll have to wait till we get to heaven. Talks about the 12 pearls in heaven of the disciples' names. We're going to have to see whose name's on those. But just to understand a couple of things. You're precious to God. That's who you are. You need to know that. You need to not forget that. Every day is important. And every day you can learn who Jesus Christ is. The more you know who Jesus is, the more you know his word, the more you'll know who you are. And without that, that is your buffer. That's your shield against so many bad things in this world. Friends, I believe as we see 
the United States going into its final tailspin. I, I don't see any way out of this, friends. People say, well, you know, the next election, they're going to have a red wave or a blue wave. I, don't, I said, I don't even know if we're going to make it to the next election. Because when you see what's happening, these crazy decisions that are politics. I heard it said one time, if you take a handful of darts and you have a dartboard on the wall, all the darts are good things for America. And you take and you randomly just take and throw them at the dartboard. The odds of one of those darts hitting the dartboard is pretty good. How is it that every decision that they make is not good for America? Whether it's forcing an LBGT uh, agenda upon the American masses that don't want to hear it anymore. Or whether it's, it's uh, giving away billions of dollars. Do you know, you heard about the, the 40 to $50 billion we gave to Ukraine this past week? You hear about that? We don't have it. We borrowed it from China. See, the American news media is not going to tell you the truth because they're part of it. This is where we are in trouble. Now, you say, well, Mike, you're a doomist. No, not at all. What did Jesus say? Work for the night is coming when no one can work. Do you realize that one of these days, Gabriel's going to blow his trumpet, we be out of here. But I think about that. God spoke to John. He said, John, in Revelation, he said, eat the little book. It'll be sweet in your mouth, but it'll be bitter in your stomach. So he said, I ate the book. And sure enough, it was sweet in my mouth. And as soon as I swallowed it, it was tongue time. I had indigestion. What is that? You know, I think when we talk about Jesus coming back and taking the church home, I believe that's sweet in our mouths because that sounds really good to me. Especially if your body don't work quite right. I've been having trouble with my hip. I, I just limp it around like an old man. What's wrong with me? I used to be able to do all kinds of things and now I do things and it takes me a month to recover. What, what's this? I think about water skiing. I used to water ski almost every day. Just the thought of the pain the next day. So I go, no, I can't do that. You, you just think about that. I, I don't want to do that. It's sweet in our mouth. We're going to go to heaven. But then you stop to think about your loved ones, your family members, those that you care about. They're going to be left behind. And I believe, friends, that's the bitterness that God was speaking to John about after you eat the sweet book. When you really digest what's going to happen to the world, friends, it's going to be hard. May the Holy Spirit empower you and open our eyes to things that we've not seen before. Friends, being about your father's business is so important. When we're gone, there won't be someone to tell your relatives about the Lord. When we're gone, there won't be the salt of the world. There won't be the light of the world. It'll be gone. And the Bible says the world's going to get what it always wanted, a world without God, and it rots. In fact, in Revelation 16, lest those days shorten, there be no flesh saved. 
How important is it? You need to know God's word. Next week, we're going to do Acts chapter 2. This chapter happened exactly 1,990 years ago as we read it. 1,900, you wonder. And by the way, you say, but Mike, that's so long. That was so long ago. Okay, well, I got some bad news for some of you. The world, according to the Bible, is about 6,000 years old. I believe he created the earth fully mature, so there shouldn't be any problems with that. He created Adam fully mature. He wasn't a little squalling baby and the baboons nursed him. He was a fully mature adult. Eve was fully created when he, she, he created her. And when, when we look at that, we got... God's just given all of us an opportunity to be about his business. There's so many other things we can do, but I just want to encourage you, have an eye for the kingdom of God. God created everything. He created everything for a reason. And I just want to encourage you, be about your daddy's business. If you're not right with God this morning, I want to just invite you, you need to get right with God. You need to have that communication restored so you can hear his voice. Sin, rebellion, I'm going to do my own thing, goes snip and cuts the line. God says, I want to reestablish that. You're going to need to know what to do in the days to come, and you're going to need to know it and know it well. You see, when we look at this and we realize that God in his love made a provision for you and me to spend eternity with him, I think that's pretty cool. Where's hands? Where's feet? No more time left for playing on the fence. Friends, when you can see the things that are going on right now, the rapid deterioration globally, we need to be about our daddy's business. This morning, if you're not a Christian, we're going to pray. And you need to turn your life over to Christ. I compel you in Jesus' name, please. Because you can't hold on to your life. Look at the newspaper. Read the obituary column. Watch the evening news. You know, it talks about teenagers dying in car wrecks and and 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds getting shot and all these different things. We have no promise of tomorrow. So best every day we have in Christ Jesus, use it for him. I would invite you this morning to repent first. God, I'm sorry I've lived it my way. Because without real repentance, there's not really any conversion. Repent. Just say, Lord, forgive me for what I've been. I'm I'm sorry I've lived without you. And I thought I would do all these things that everybody said I was going to do, and I'd be happy, but there's still something aching inside of me. I would invite you this morning to pray, ask Christ in your life. Because your eternal destiny rests upon it. And those around you, do you realize when you become born again, you will be that salt, that light to people around you? Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I invite you into my life today. 
I'm sorry for the foolish way I've lived. I believe the lie. I did. I'm sorry. So I ask you now to to come into my life. Make me brand new. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And his blood covered my sins. So now fill me with your Holy Spirit. That I can be about your business. Lord, write my name in your book of life. That I spend eternity with you. And Lord, show me each day what you would have me do for you. In Jesus' name, amen.